Thought Creators, the podcast for financial experts brought to you by FAB. Welcome to Thought Creators, the podcast that looks at the issues impacting the world of finance and takes a look at them through a very human lens. Brought to you by one of the leading banks in the region, First Abu Dhabi Bank. My guest today is Sarah Piazada Osmani, who is Managing Director and Head of Sustainable Asset and Project Finance at FAB. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Scott, for having me here today. You're very welcome. It's great to see you. Um, We normally start the top of the show with looking at some of the headlines that have caught my eye over the past couple of weeks. Your area of expertise, there is so much news coming out right now. Um, I saw a headline just the other day, which was Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid talking about COP28. And he talked about that being the most important event in the UAE in 2023. I'm sort of guessing with your area of focus that you might agree. Give me your view, helicopter view, on how important you think COP28 is going to be for this region. I think COP28 is going to be of, uh, you know, extreme importance, uh, especially for the UAE. I mean, the UAE government signed up to net zero at COP26 uh, last year. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, you know, uh, the government had a huge presence at COP27 in Egypt uh, just last month. And, uh, you know, from that perspective, all eyes will very much be on the UAE as well as the region for COP28. So clearly the region is going to gear up more in terms of their ambitions and how they're going to try and achieve them. So we will see lots of announcements coming. We've also got the upcoming Abu Dhabi Sustainability Week. Mm -hmm. And uh, essentially, you know, we will see a lot of companies as well as sovereigns, you know, making certain announcements, which will be quite fundamental for the region in order to achieve achieve uh, net zero by 2050. I'll come back to COP28 in a little, if I may, and we'll do a bit more of a deep dive around that. Uh, But if I stay with the headlines that also caught my eye, and again, in your area of expertise, uh, this is a period of time where lots of people are flying, lots of people are traveling. And indeed, there was a story just this week, which was a sky scanner research that said people in the UAE are expecting in 2023 to I think it was about 69% of us expect to have more holidays this in 2023 than we did last year. Um, and then also was another headline which kind of gels with that, which Emirates saying they expect 2023 to be the year that they go back to 100% capacity. From a green perspective, okay, look, we're all going to fly. And, it, 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 you know, and the reduction in flight travel doesn't seem to be, you know, if anything, the, you know, the indicators tracking upwards. How do we balance that desire for travel with green ambitions? Yeah, so I mean, I would say that, you know, if you really put it in the bigger context of things, right, I mean, aviation is an industry which contributes to about, you know, two to three percent of uh, GHG, greenhouse gas emissions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having said that, because of its visibility, and, uh, you know, um, it just gets a lot of attention. It's an easy headline in some respects. It is an easy headline. But for the region, actually, it's a very, very important sector because if you look at the, you know, the the number of jobs of about about 10% of the jobs are within aviation and tourism. And this region actually thrives on these two sectors. Mm -hmm. And about, I would say about 13%, uh, it contributes to 13% of the the country's GDP. So it is one of those sectors which is definitely, you know, very much uh, at the focus and 
and it is one of those uh, sectors that is going to be difficult to decarbonize and there are no silver bullets at this stage but having said that it is not about um, you know stopping people from traveling i mean there's a lot of pent up demand so it's the answer is not about curbing the travel the answer is about how to decarbonize and you know there there is no clear pathway at this point in time but at the same time you know in my view sustainable aviation fuel saf for example will, will play a fundamental role in achieving that net zero by 2050 for the uh, sector well tell me a little bit more about that because uh, a few years ago we saw the headlines around the solar powered flights um i was speaking to developers back in the uk of green hydrogen powered flights which are talk to you about a little bit more but uh, sustainable aviation fuel what is that compared to normal fuel and what's the kind of impact on the environment why is that such a good thing so i mean sustainable aviation fuel is you know uh, uh, will likely achieve about 60% reduction in co2 emissions from the normal uh, conventional uh, jet fuel uh, that that is currently being used mm-hmm. so obviously you know in terms of achieving that net zero it's absolutely fundamental and there there's some types of saf which can actually achieve even 80% reduction oh, wow. so so that's where you know there's a huge amount of uh, investments required in this particular sector and if you cut currently look at the supply of of saf for example i mean i think in 2021 the production was somewhere close to about 125 million liters and to give you an idea in order to achieve a net zero by 2050 you need to take that up to 449 billion liters uh, so okay. so there's there's a long way to go in terms of achieving that so i think currently we're just at 0.03% uh, of uh, what is actually going to be required So if we think that's the future what's stopping us embracing that right now or what's needed is to to lean in and achieve those very amb- very ambitious numbers that you talk about So I think I think it's uh, it's a sector which will require a lot of investments yeah. and um, just to uh, let's say if if we are targeting 10% of SAF by 2030 we're talking about investments of up to 250 billion dollars um, and in order to achieve net zero by 2050 this could go up to about 1 to 1.4 trillion dollars uh, of investments so that is the level of investments that that are required to actually uh, help produce SAF but you know there are different ways of also producing saf i think for this region for example um if you look at um, there, there are so many projects which are underway uh between mazdar etihad uh, airways uh, lufthansa um siemens energy and um, and so on and so forth i mean they they're looking at converting for example green hydrogen into yeah. a sustainable aviation fuel and there are also other projects underway where they're looking at municipal um, municipal palety waste for example uh, to convert that into green hydrogen but i think the second aspect you know to be honest in terms of quantum i mean there will not be sufficient waste to to get us there uh, but clearly the green hydrogen aspect is something which uh, should certainly be explored for the region i mean that's something that fascinates me again, again last year i was speaking to some guys back in the uk that were developing the planes etihad actually flew their first green liner i think they dubbed it over to cop 27 So great I mean just tell me a little bit more about hydrogen as a as a fuel for the future. I mean I've seen there's an absolute rainbow out there in green blue. Uh, what what are the differences and how significant a fuel can it be for us particularly in terms of green ambitions? So 
I mean, green hydrogen itself, uh, to be honest, in my view, is definitely the fuel of the future and will require a huge amount of investments uh, to achieve the quantity of green hydrogen required. Um, but when you talk about the various hydrogens, I mean, just uh, just to let you know, grey hydrogen, for example, I mean, that's the traditional conventional form of, uh, you know, natural gas uh, and essentially uh, where you use steam, but you do not capture the carbon which is being released. Okay. So that's really the, the grey form, uh, which is obviously not the preferred form. Uh, then, you know, the evolution into blue hydrogen, where essentially the process is the same by using natural gas, but then you use carbon capture and storage technology to to uh, capture that carbon. So, you know, it is obviously a lot more environmental, uh, environment friendly. Yeah. Uh, Green hydrogen on its own, I mean, if you think about it, it is the process of using electrolysis. Uh, so you electrolyze the water, but then you use uh, renewable energy forms uh, f to, to uh, source the electricity. So wow, it could yeah. be in the f uh, form of solar or uh, wind. And essentially, that's what you do to, uh, to create hydrogen. And there is actually no carbon emitted through that process. So hence, the green aspect, you know, becomes quite fundamental. Of course, there are other aspects, as you said, there's pink uh, uh, purple and, and red, those refer to, again, using the electrolysis process, but uh, potentially using nuclear energy. And then uh, and uh, you've got yellow hydrogen, and that is linked specifically to just solar energy powering the electrolysis, unlike green, which is a combination of uh, solar and wind. So yeah, lots of colors to remember. <laughs> no, I definitely feel I've been schooled. And I have to say, you've explained that really, really well. At school, I failed chemistry. So where were you when I was taking my exams? <laughs> um, now, this is all kind of part of what we call, you know, the broad term called the energy transition. Um, in this part of the world, we've seen, you know, the headlines around the UAE and also Saudi, but the UAE really leaning into an energy transition. And that's, you know, you've already mentioned decarbonization. Can you give us just a little bit of a helicopter view at where we're at, you know, in terms of this region, in terms of the UE's focus on decarbonisation, actually what that means for, for, the, for the uneducated person such as myself, but also where the kind of direction of travel is moving forward? So, I mean, uh, with respect to this region, I think one has to take into view that this region has been dependent on hydrocarbons for the last 100 years. And now to achieve net zero by 2050, there is a huge transition process that has to take place. And I think we're seeing a huge number of commitments coming from the region. I mean, if you look at renewable energy specifically, right? I mean, you look at the investments that are being made in Dubai and in Abu Dhabi, both by Diwa and EWEC, the uh, electricity and water producing authorities. I mean, there are a significant number of projects coming up in, in both these uh, emirates. You're seeing uh, Repto, for example, which is the Renewable Energy Project uh, Development uh, Office uh, of KSA. There are a number of projects coming up, again, on, on that front. Uh, it is really to increase that renewable energy capacity within the overall energy uh, you know, uh, uh, production in, in, in these regions. So there's a lot of investments happening. So I think the focus will very much be about decarbonization 
carboning, uh, carbonizing some of the hard to abate sectors. And in that, you're talking about the heavy industries or the heavy, heavy manufacturing uh, industries like steel, like mm -hmm. chemicals. Um, uh, so, so cement, for example. I mean, those are the sectors, even in the transportation. I mean, we briefly touched upon uh, aviation, yeah. but really it's the transportation sector in general. You're talking about heavy transport, uh, road transport. You're talking about maritime. All of those sectors will need to essentially transition across. And that is where, you know, the focus will be on supporting that transition and then eventually achieving that uh, you know, net zero status by 2050. So we can see that the the governments are doing a lot of work in, and particularly the UAE government's doing a lot of work in leaning into these sort of opportunities, ambitions for a greener future. But I'm kind of reminded at the top of my head about an old phrase growing up, which is like, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Um, how important is it for there to be a kind of public and private partnership around these goals? Like the government can put everything in place, but the private sector really needs to lean into that same ambition. I think both the public and the private sector will play a very meaningful role in this. And to be honest, we all need to work together to achieve that goal. Mm. I mean, if you look at the uh, public sector, in, in many cases, we talked about green hydrogen or SAF, uh, it'll be the public sector which will need to provide the uh, subsidies, for example, or incentives to attract the private sector, uh, you know, uh, to uh, to make those investments in, in the sector. So I think, I think sustainability has become such a fundamental viewpoint that it it's really... It, uh, both these sectors need to come together. And at the same time, the financiers play a very important role as well in terms of working together with both the private and the public sector to actually help deliver these ambitions as well. Because ultimately, not everything will be done through equity. Mm -hmm. There has to be a certain amount of financing that will come to finance these projects. Well, let's talk about that a little more. I mean, I remember having a conversation with your chief sustainability officer, Sharjil, who was talking about ESG and sustainability being the license to operate moving forward but of course any technology transition any particularly an energy transition such as this needs to be paid for so what is the role of the banks and the finance industry in helping companies lean into those investments because obviously it's going to take a significant amount of money to move from the system that we've relied on for a hundred years as you say to the new future so what is the role of the the banking industry in all of that I think the financial institutions can play a very important role in supporting some of these activities through providing or encouraging financing towards those particular sectors. I mean, it's the same way if you look at it historically, you know, uh, banks actually stopped lending to the coal sector. And that kind of, uh, you know, restricted some of the activities that, that were happening in that space. I think in the same vein, financial institutions can actually help channel their financing towards more sustainable projects or transition projects to actually help encourage that development um, as well. And I think, um, you know, one of the key uh, aspects is that uh, it's important that banks obviously in the past have looked at just the credit aspect of things. But I think there is a certain willingness now to look at certain new technologies, new ways of doing things, and also support the financing. Because ultimately, I mean, for example, we've signed up to net zero uh, by 2050 as well. Mm -hmm. And we have our own targets to deliver. So from that perspective, if a project is 
categorized as a sustainable finance project, then there is more willingness and appetite to consider a financing for something along those lines than something which is, which is let's say, grey uh, mm-hmm. at the moment. It it seems to me, uh, as a layman almost, I mean, we see the government and obviously sometimes regulation is the stick, but in the world of finance, you also have the opportunity to be the carrot and the stick, which is, okay, we can do sustainable financing for you if you lean into the, the you know the right projects and equally withdraw funding or withdraw the amount of investment available for the, for the grey projects. So there is a real sort of meaningful impact that your industry can have in this space. I mean, you talked about sustainable financing. Just tell me a little bit more about sustainable financing, what it is, what the options are out there. So I think before I get into, uh, you know, sustainable finance and options, just to uh, let you know, uh, FAB, for example, has committed to lend, arrange and facilitate up to US dollars 75 billion of sustainable finance by 2030. So this is a target that, that we've given. And our ambition is to play a leading role in terms of supporting some of these transition projects yeah. that we just talked about. Uh, now, how can one do it? I mean, if you look at the evolution of sustainable finance, it all started as green finance, for example, because the environmental aspect obviously has, you know, gets gets a lot of attention. And that's how, you know, it started with green loans and green bonds, mm-hmm. which were being governed by green loan principles by the LMA, Loan Market Association, or the ICMA, which is the Capital Markets Association for bonds. So that's how the evolution started in terms of green loans and green bonds and those were specifically being channeled towards specifically green projects where there was renewable energy projects green buildings so on and so forth Um, but slowly there was a transition towards sustainability because not every corporate for example or every financial institution invests in those types of projects so there was a need to actually widen that scope to encourage a wider audience to think of a more sustainable way of operating their business. So the evolution was from green, it became sustainable finance. And from sustainable finance, it became sustainability linked. And it's interesting to see that, you know, in sustainability linked, the emphasis is not just on the environmental side. The emphasis is on ESNG, environmental, social and governance. And these type of financings are actually linked to certain key performance indicators where you set sustainable performance targets for the tenor of the facility, whether it's a loan or a bond, and the organization is expected to live up to those those standards. And then at the same time, the structure actually involves, uh, you know, a margin uh, uh, kind of uh, incentive, if they meet the, the KPIs, they get a, a margin reduction in pricing, for example. But at the same time, if they do not meet, then there is a penalty to play. So I think it's it's very important to actually understand the underlying company mm-hmm. and then see what is the best form of financing yeah. that one can associate with that. And, and that's that's what we are doing. That's interesting. That, that's like almost like cash with commitments then. You get marked on your homework and if they do really good work, then they get benefits for it and if they fall behind is that well no actually that this this funding came with the commitment to lean into your you know your esg uh, goals uh, and therefore they get penalized so it seems like a really good way of keeping people on track 75 billion did you say by 2030 yes. that's seven and a bit years away you're going to be busy 
<laughs> in your department well, I, over the next few years? I would say that we have been very busy. Yeah. Um, obviously, if we look at uh, Fab's ESG journey, we yeah. started our journey a long time ago. We were the first bank in the region to issue a green bond in 2017 after we uh, issued our green financing framework. Yeah. So we've come a long way. But having said that, we are working very hard. And I think the next 12 months are going to be fundamental for this region. And we will see a lot of corporates and companies uh, coming to the fold. And while I talked about the margin incentives and all, to be honest, ultimately, it is not about, you know, the financial aspect of things. Of course, that is important. But ultimately, it's about being a good corporate citizen. Yeah. And over, you say you talk about the next 12 months, but sort of the next three or four, sorry, the last three or four years, how have you seen, uh, I mean, again, Charger was talking about that license to operate. How have you seen the private sector coming? Have you literally been getting busier and busier and busier? Or do you think this is almost going to be a bit of a hockey stick, particularly with COP28 and then you now announcing 75 billion? Do you think it's just going to explode? Or have you been seeing this underlying trend of more organizations and corporates coming to you going, actually, we're really interested in investing in this space? So it's been a combination so far. There have been a few organizations who've kind of taken the lead, mm -hmm. a few corporates uh, who've taken the lead in sustainability. And two uh, definitely worth mentioning are Etihad Airways as well as uh, Majid Al Futem. Um, so while we've been on our ESG journey, they've clearly been on their ESG journey as well. Yeah. And Fab has actually played a, an important role in their ESG journey as well. Um, there are a lot of companies who are still sitting on the fence, probably waiting to see how things pan out. So there are some leaders and there will be some followers. Yeah. Um, but I think earlier on, it was essentially being driven by the corporates themselves. Now, with the push coming from the government, I think there will be obviously a lot more uh, involvement uh, in terms of, you know, actually looking at sustainability and setting up their sustainable uh, sustainability teams and essentially thinking of ways to operate in a more sustainable manner. So I think, you know, to uh, the earlier point that you made, I mean, it's not going to be something a nice to have it'll be a must have yeah so the next 12 months we expect a lot of activity in this space do you mind me i mean i always love real world examples do you mind me asking you a little bit more about say the etihad partnership or the magic alpha tame partnership how did you assist them in you know on that journey so uh, with Etihad Airways, again, you know, they're a very key client of ours and, yeah. and they're very focused on sustainability as well. I mean, uh, we did the first sustainable development goal linked loan for Etihad um, Airways. And this was uh, linked to their green buildings, accommodation that they provide for their uh, for their staff. Yeah. Uh, subsequently, we did a transition sukuk for them linked to CO2 emissions. And uh, more recently, we did two sustainable linked loans uh, with Etihad, which are linked to three KPIs, environmental, social and governance. So, I mean, this is the journey that we, they have been on. And, you know, uh, we're proud to say that we have supported them in their ambitions. I mean, that's interesting as well, because it, it seems that there's there's not just one loan. There's actually lots of different ways that financing can be tailored to the needs of an organization that wants to lean into that journey. 
So it it uh, goes back to that earlier point I made in terms of the ways you can structure sustainable finance solutions. Mm. So green was the way to start off things. So yeah. which is why when we did a sustainable development goal linked loan, it was linked to climate change and the underlying um, project was a green project, uh, which is energy efficient uh, accommodation. Uh, and the subsequent evolution into sustainability linked loan is about the way you operate in a more sustainable manner so it is also linked to the evolution and of course we tailor make those products to help suit our clients needs and keeping in view the evolution in the market uh, when Sharjah was on the podcast, he talked about um, the Net Zero Banking Alliance, which I know you're very passionate about as well. And that uh, First Abu Dhabi Bank was one of the first banks in this region to actually embrace the mission of the Net Zero Banking Alliance. What does that mean to you? Uh, and again, what do you think we can achieve with this alliance? So, I mean, with net zero, uh, I mean, the commitment is that, of course, you know, for, for a bank, scope one and two emissions are, of course, very important. But at the same time, scope three is very important as well. And this is scope three emissions are linked to our clients, the financing that we are providing to our clients. Um, so as per the net zero a banking alliance, we will need to come up with targets similar to all other institutions that have signed up to net zero. And uh, and that is those are the targets that we will have to follow, which will show a pathway essentially mm -hmm. to you know how we're going to achieve that net zero by 2050 and that again you know will lead into encouraging certain types of activities by channeling some of the financing towards those type of projects so on this podcast we love sort of predictions and looking future facing um cop 28 and we well let's let's kind of return to where we walked in with sheikh mohammed talking about this being the most important event in the ue in 2023 what do you think its impacts going to be sort of moving forward um for the region and, and what are you doing to prepare for it so, I mean, COP28, uh, given it's here in, in the UAE, uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, emphasis on the local companies here that are resident here, and also the governments in terms of coming up with their plans on how they're going to support the UAE government in their ambitions. So I think we will have to see what the announcements uh, are going to be, but we already know that there's a huge amount of investment planned in renewable energy, mm -hmm. <clears throat> huge amount of investments planned in uh, <clears throat> the green hydrogen space, for example. So we are all waiting to see how things are going to pan out. I think the key thing is, um, you know, in this space, disclosures are very, very important. And that is what the investors are looking for as well. And these type of activities actually encourage disclosure. So when you start disclosing uh, your emissions as an institution, then you become more conscious about those as well. And then you will target reducing them in, in some shape or form. So we'll have to watch this space and see what those announcements are in the next 12 months. With that in mind, you talk about those organizations and those companies and those company leaders that are currently sitting on the fence. What would your message be to them considering that we've got COP20, uh, COP28 coming this year in 2023? So I think the key thing is that, you know, um, it's a journey uh, that we all need to be on. I mean, there are no questions about it. Uh, it's either you're going to be a follower or you're going to be a leader. So the choice is actually up to the company. And it's important to invest 
in this aspect, it's important to start having a future outlook, keeping sustainability in mind, because ultimately, you know, we will operate in a far better world if everybody starts putting a sustainability hat in every sort of decision making. I think that's absolutely important and absolutely fundamental that at the board level, there is discussion around ESG, around sustainability, and their work streams that are planned ahead, because ultimately, you know, either you are on that train or you get left behind. That, Sarah, feels very much like a mic drop moment. Either you're a follower or you're a leader. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the Thought Creators podcast today. Um, if you've enjoyed this podcast and you want to hear more from us, please hit subscribe, um, either in YouTube or on your podcast uh, platform of choice. Uh, once again, to my guest, Sarah, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Scott. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thought Creators, the podcast for financial experts brought to you by FAB.